Mac Power Users, episode 389, Katie's Mac-based small business. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? Great. Just the two of us today. And uh, I think it's time for us to talk about what you've been doing with all your technology in the last year that you set up your own small business. Just just the two of us. You say that like it's so abnormal. You know, that's normally what this podcast is. It's just the two of us. Yeah, but today it's all about you, Katie all Floyd. All about all me. All about you. All about me, as it should be all the time. All about Katie all the time. There you go. So uh, what was it, about a year ago? When did you when did you go out on your own? September 1, 2016. Okay, well, you're coming up on your year. That's great. Coming up on a year, yeah. So uh, for those of you that don't know, Katie uh, worked for the man for a long time and last year went out on her own, opened her own small estate planning practice down in Florida and uh, used her superior knowledge of Apple technology to make it a successful opening. Um, we did a show way back when, I think it was 272, where I, almost 100 shows ago, <laughs> over 100 shows ago. <laughs> over 100 shows ago, yeah. So that would be over two years ago. Where I talked about my adventures getting started. And um, we thought it would be fun to talk about what Katie did and, and what she did different and what's working for her and what's not. Uh, so this this episode is really all about small business. It's not about law practice as much as it's just getting a small business going using some Apple tech. Yeah. And, and since episode 272, a, a lot has changed. So I want to hear about um, how your setup has changed. In fact, I went back last night and listened to episode 272. Um, and a lot of stuff has happened since 272. You know, your your business has been thriving. You even started a new podcast. So if people like the type of stuff that we're talking about this show, I would strongly encourage them to go check out Free Agents, uh, which is also on Relay FM, where you and Jason Snell um, talk about being free agents and all of the things that come along with that. Yeah, I, the Free Agents really is more of a hippie show. It's, it doesn't talk about the technology so much as you know, why do you go out and, and what are the challenges and how do you deal with it? Um, but, but they do relate. In fact, we had Katie on the free agents a while back, uh, talking about some of those hippie questions and that's a great episode. We'll, we'll link to the show notes as well. But anyway, uh, let's get started talking about, about what you did. I mean, uh, one of the things I know for a fact, because as your friend, I, I talked to you several times as you were leading up to this big change is, Katie Floyd is a woman that has a plan. And uh, <laughs> when you decided to go out on your own, it wasn't a willy nilly thing. You had many plans and, uh, and probably many things written down on computers and pieces of paper spread around your life as you sorted it out. So maybe we start there. Once, once you started getting serious about going on your own, um, how did you start making your plans? Well, I thought about it quite a bit before I took the leave. I would say I was thinking about it in a big picture sense for several months, uh, you know, conceptually. And then I probably had it, at least three solid months of, of planning, you know, sitting down with a spreadsheet, investigating all of the options, talking to people about what the options were. Um, before I, I actually opened my door. So it, it had been a concept in my mind. I would say serious concept in my mind for, you know, eight, six or eight months before I did it. And, and something that I was actively planning and actively doing for, for three months before my doors opened. So definitely there, uh, there was a plan. 
uh, there was a spreadsheet, which I think you had, had given me some advice, where the first thing that I started doing is I started making a list of all of the things that I would need and what they would cost. So I, w- I wanted to have an idea of, uh, you know, just every time I thought of something, I opened up the spreadsheet and I put it on the spreadsheet. And, um, you know, I got a lot of the stuff, you know, kind of in my first go around. But then there was stuff where I'd wake up at 2 a.m. I-, I have a lot of times where I wake up at 2 a.m. with just it's always 2 a.m. with just these ideas in my head. And I'd wake up at 2 a.m. and put something else on the spreadsheet um, or take something off the spreadsheet or revise the spreadsheet or, or create a note for something. Um, and, and think about what, what is something going to cost or, or how can I do something differently? And you were very methodical with it. I mean, as an outside observer, I, I, uh, when I decided to go, it was like within weeks of me giving notice. I mean, I, I did not have as much time to plan because it just, you know, I think I was thinking about it subconsciously for years, but then when I finally realized, okay, I'm going to do this, it, it all came together very quickly for me. Uh, but but just getting into the weeds a little bit, what what was your spreadsheet? Is it in numbers or Excel or how did you manage it? Well, it was a spreadsheet in numbers. Um, and so I, I had a couple of things going. I had a note uh, in a couple of notes in Evernote. Um, and uh, I actually had a note in Apple Note, too. But it was just things. I, I, have, I had one note that said things to ask David about because um, you you and I had a couple of calls because you were someone who had done this before. Um, and every time I thought about something, I would just add a note to it of things to check out, things to think about with office space, things to do about that. But the spreadsheet was was more so just expenses. So, um, you know, get a quote for insurance. Um, this is this is how much you know, trying to break down what things were going to cost me on a monthly and and yearly basis, because some things you pay annually, some things you pay monthly, some things you pay quarterly, but most things I pay monthly or annually. And what was it going to cost me on a per month basis just to keep my doors open? Because what I was trying to figure out is, was doing that going to make more sense for me than continuing to work for somebody else? And then what I was doing is I was comparing that to what I was making at where I was before. And, you know, what what did I think that I could bring in if I went out on my own and just kind of honestly doing the math of, you know, was I going to do at least reasonably well, if not better, doing it on my own. And, and finally, the spreadsheet says, yeah, it kind of looks like you will. Yeah, the, it's funny because for me, the spreadsheet, the expenses are important and you should definitely spend some time keeping track of what you think it's going to cost to get started. There's always startup costs, although in this day and age, the startup costs are a lot lower than they were 10 or 20 years ago. But then you also have the ongoing costs and, you know, figuring that out, you know, what's my monthly nut is is important. Uh, when I was working on my spreadsheet, I also did mine in numbers. Just as important, maybe even more important for me, was the projection sheet. Where I, I just started writing down the names of clients that I thought may go with me if I leave. You know, I mean, that I was fairly confident would come with me. And my thoughts about, you know, how much money do they usually spend on lawyers in a year? And, you know, how... You know, the question was, if I if I do this, will I make enough money to survive? Well, and I did the exact same thing. I, I had a list of of steady clients that gave me work. And I looked at, you know, over the last year, what what kind of work had they sent me over the last two years? You know, had that changed? Was there a big project that was an outlier that I, you know, couldn't count on? And then I also looked at, well, what if one or two of those left me? Would I still be okay? Because I didn't want to be in a situation where you had all of your eggs in one basket. Um because in, in the type of business that I do, I would say about 50% of, of my business um, is 
maybe even more, maybe even closer to 60, is just one-off work for people. I'm doing somebody's estate or I'm doing somebody's probate. And it's, they need me, I do that work, and then we're done. And I may never see that person again. Many times I will never see them again. Sometimes I may not see them again for five or 10 years or even more. So it's not like it's a recurring revenue source. Some clients I do work for, um, we have an ongoing relationship with, and some some of my clients are very seasonal. Like I have one client um, who has hardly any work for me in the summer months. Um, and, you know, I have some clients that are very busy at other times of the year. So th- that was one of the equations that I looked at as well. Yeah. So for my business, they're almost all ongoing relationships. Some of them are very slow and don't need a lot of lawyer help. And some of them need a lot, but but they're all ongoing relationships. So that I think made those projections easier for me to do. Whereas you're probably thinking, well, how many new estate planning clients can I expect to get in the first year and things like that? Right. And I'll tell you that, you know, despite the fact that you and I are sitting here on podcast talking to a whole bunch of people, I will tell you that I'm fairly introverted by nature. Um, I'm not someone who really likes going out and socializing and pounding the pavement. Uh, I tend to have very close relationships with with people that I know, and I have a core group of very good friends, but I'm not really the salesperson. I don't really like going out and, and, and doing those types of networking and social things. I will tell you over the last year, I have become an incredibly social person. Um, you know, uh, it, <laughs> it's, and it's somewhat uncomfortable, you know, coming out of my comfort zone. Um, this uh, January... Uh, kind of as a partially as a New Year's resolution, I joined several new organizations. You know, I joined the local chamber of commerce. I joined a local networking group. Um, I joined a local women's business association. I joined, uh, you know, I honestly, I joined too much. And I knew that I knew going in in January that I was joining too much and that some of it would fall by the wayside. And I can already tell you now, you know, six months into it, basically, I said I would commit to these things for a year and see what of it was was reasonably generating and, and what of it what of it did I enjoy and what of it was not. And probably about half of those things I'm going to let drop, you know, and figure out what works for me and, and what doesn't. Yeah. the I'm like you too. I, I feel like I am very comfortable in a room full of people. If you, if you put me in front of a stadium, it wouldn't bother me. Exactly. In fact, you, I, I don't like to think about it, but it's like we have a stadium every week listening to the show. <laughs> but the um, but one on one, I can be uh, pretty introverted. Sometimes it's really hard for me <laughs> with just a few people, which is weird. But that's just me. Um, I, I read a, a very interesting book. I think it was by Susan Cain. It was called uh, "Quiet: The Secret Power of Introverts," and it talks about how uh, you know the kind of the misconception is that introverts are shy, and there is a huge, well, maybe not a huge, but a significant percentage of introverts who are not shy. And I, I consider myself introverted, but not shy. Like you, I have I have no problem standing in front of an audience and giving a, a presentation. Um, but it's, you know, necessarily the one-on-one smoozing and networking that comes after that, that is, you know, not really my thing. Especially networking. Some of that's the worst. I mean, I've gone to those networking events where the, the guys have the move where they shake your hand and they have a business card already in their hand when they shake your hand, like they just did the hand off to you. And I just so desperately want to wash my hands afterwards. <laughs> I, I am not good at that stuff. Yeah. You know, but, I uh, usually walk out of those and dump the business cards in the trash can on my way out the door. I, I did that once too. So I went to a, an, a networking event once where a guy had gone to my LinkedIn and he had printed it out and he highlighted all the people on my LinkedIn that he thought that would be a good fit for him. He says, I, if you would just reach out to these people and tell them about me, I'd appreciate it. 
And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then, I, so it was a restaurant. I walked out and went to the first trash can I could find and just threw it away. And I turned around and he was watching me at the door. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think uh, that worked out so well. Yeah, maybe, maybe you wait till you get in your car. Yeah, we want to talk about the geeky stuff, though. I mean, um, looking back at that, those spreadsheets, I, have you had a chance now that you've been out almost a year How'd you do on your predictions? I mean, in your, your, you know, your, uh, expense and income expectations did, were you close? Yeah, I did. I did pretty well. Um, well, one of the funny things I, I tell you that I did not put on my spreadsheet is I did not put paying me on the spreadsheet. And that's something that I hear from a lot of, you know, cause you just assume that, oh, you know, well, whatever's left, that's just, that's just yours. And that's just profit. But, um, you know, that was in, in different business owners will tell you different things and have different philosophies. Oh, you have to pay yourself last because the business always comes first. And then some people say, oh, no, the exact opposite. You have to pay yourself first because otherwise, why why are you doing all of this work? So that was a adjustment that I made very quickly um, is I started taking a, a regular as soon as I, I had a couple of months under me because, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to be very risk adverse. I know you know that, David. Um, as soon as I had several months under me and I had a significant savings in the, the business account and I had paid myself back personally for the initial startup loan that I made to the business, um, I started setting up through a payroll service that, you know, Katie Floyd's company is going to pay Katie Floyd individually um, a set salary on a on a regular basis. And um, and and that has helped because that, I think, gives me a much truer sense of, OK, well, after we pay all of our normal expenses and taking into a fa- a fa- account that paying Katie is is a normal expense, which it should be with the business. Now, how are we really doing? Um, and and we're still doing okay, but and so that that has been a, a huge both relief um, and and a bit of a shift. Yeah, I, I, looking at my uh, spreadsheet, I'm looking at it right now. I was spot on on the expenses, and that makes sense because you can nail that down a lot of times before, and you know exactly how much the insurance costs or the phones and that stuff. Uh, my pro- my projections on income were completely off base. I mean, some of the people that I thought would come with me didn't. Some of the people that I didn't think with me did. And some spent a lot more than I thought they would. You know, just the whole thing. And I didn't really take into account that I would get several new clients once I went out on my own. So uh, I got the income all wrong. But but I did get the expenses pretty close, just looking at it here. Just brings me back. Just looking at the spreadsheet brings me back to those days. When you say you wake up at 2 a.m. and add stuff to the spreadsheet, will you just do it on your phone or do you? Uh... No, I don't. I don't do that anymore. But I did before. Yes, I did before. I would I would pull it open. I So I sleep with an iPad by my bed, which is probably a bad thing to do. Um, but that's where my iPad lives is the iPad is on my nightstand. And and that's what I would do is when I would wake up, I'd, I'd pull the iPad out and and um, and and go from there. So I, I guess I should back up a little bit. Um, when I opened my, my business and, and still to this day, I, I had three core, I, I don't know what you call them, principles, guiding philosophies, just basically th- these are three things that my business is always going to do. And, and we'll go from there. Um, the, the first one is that I knew that I wanted to have the ability to work from anywhere. Um, and we can expand on these later, but I think they'll give you a sense of where I was coming from. Um, I knew that I wanted to be able to work from a physical office or work from home 
or work from Europe if I wanted to go on vacation. So I knew that I wanted to, from the very beginning, set up a practice where everything was in the cloud and I could access it from my my desktop at work, my laptop at home, or my iPad, wherever I was. Uh, number two, and this is kind of part of that, is I knew that I wanted to be completely paperless from the beginning. And of course, that makes sense if you've listened to our show for any any length of time. And part of that is because it it helps being paperless helps you meet that first goal because then you don't have to worry about, oh, did I leave that file? Did I leave that piece of paper on my desk? Well, it doesn't matter because it's scanned in and it's, you know, it's it's wherever it's supposed to be in the cloud. But there is just tremendous overhead with managing paper and uh, particularly in paper sensitive or paper heavy offices, uh, we would have tons of resources, both real estate, you know, in terms of just rooms and rooms and rooms dedicated to managing paper, you know, file, you know, thousands of dollars worth of file cabinets, you know, filled with, with paper. And I, I just didn't have that kind of overhead to deal with. And is, especially if you're starting something paperless from the beginning, it is so much better because I, I can't tell you how much I've seen colleagues spend trying to convert a paper practice to a paperless practice after the fact. And then the, the third philosophy. And you had all that knowledge well, yeah. because you've been talking about this for years, you know. So it only made sense. Um, and then the third thing is I wanted to keep my overlead, my overhead as low as possible. I wanted to be as lean and mean as I could, which basically mean I didn't want to spend a single penny that I didn't have to. I did not con- commit to um, any contracts I didn't have to commit to, I, you know, unless I absolutely needed something. I, I didn't buy it. I used what I had. And I, I my general rule of thumb is I wasn't going to buy anything until I was at least three months in. Because I, you know, I didn't want to get myself into a year long or a three year contract on something, not knowing whether I was going to use it once or whether I was going to use it every day in my practice. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Use code MPU for free overnight shipping. If you haven't been paying attention, there's been a bit of a revolution in Wi-Fi. And this week's sponsor, Eero, is right at the center of it. Eero's created the Dream Wi-Fi Setup, a fast, reliable connection for every room in your house, even the backyard. If you're not yet on board with Eero's super slick Wi-Fi, now is the best time to join as they've just released their new second-generation device. As well as their new tri-band second-generation model, they are also introducing Eero Beacon, allowing you to build a Wi-Fi system that's perfectly tailored for your home. With the addition of the third uh, 5 gigahertz radio in your new second-generation Aero, it's twice as fast as its predecessor. This lets you do more than ever before. Aero has the ability to blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. The Aero itself sits flat on any surface. You plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Aero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. The new Eero also includes a new thread radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices like locks, doorbells, and other sensors. The Eeros are introducing the new Eero Beacon as well. It's half the size of an Eero, but even more powerful than the first generation. And the way it works is you just plug it into the wall, and you can expand the coverage into any room. You can add as many Eero Beacons as you want, so long as you have an Eero device. And it even includes a built-in LED nightlight with ambient light sensor. So if you plug one in the hallway, you've got a nightlight uh, at night as you're walking through the hall. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. 
The Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand, and you can also easily create and share a guest network too. Now, I was a big believer in the Apple airports until I got Eero in my life, and I have to tell you, Eero is so much better. We were having a problem in one of my daughter's rooms where they just could not get Wi-Fi, and they were using up a bunch of our cellular data every month watching movies in their room. Ever since we got the Eero, that problem went away. The Wi-Fi is outstanding in the room where before it was non-existent. Eero also has incredible customer support. You can call and get a hold of one of their Wi-Fi experts within 30 seconds. The new Eero system starts at $399 for one second generation Eero and two beacons, which is everything you need for most average size homes. Uh, listeners of the show can get free overnight shipping when they head to Eero.com and use the promo code MPU. That's Eero.com with the promo code MPU for free overnight shipping. Fix your Wi-Fi today with an Eero. Okay, so the bulk of our outline is dedicated to your technology implementations, but I think just for the sake of completeness, let's take a few minutes to talk about kind of the big office stuff. Um, did you get space? I did get space. Um, it was important for me to get space because the type of practice that I do, I, I meet with a lot of people in my office and they expect a certain presence. You know, they, they expect to come into... and you know, I, I'm meeting with clients. I'm sitting across a conference table from them. We're signing documents. I have to bring in witnesses. So what I ultimately did is I talked to a couple of colleagues um, and I ended up renting space from a fellow practitioner. And it was, a, I think, a win-win situation for both of us because he had empty office space in his office. So he gets income in the form of rent. And I get a basically a turnkey place where I can go, I, I can work during the day, I have access to a conference room, and our agreement includes that I get to use some of his staff for things like witness and notary, and they they do certain what I call client courtesies, like you know the they'll sign for packages, or if a client comes to pick up a document, they'll they'll give them the pack the document and, and those types of things. So it makes me look like I have a much bigger presence than I than I do. Yeah, now two and a half years in, my uh, solution of the uh, that it's an office that's got my name on the door that's not my office, you know. Um, uh, and they do have a fancy conference room when I need to meet people. And I use that once or twice a month, sometimes not at all in a month. It just depends on my client. Like my older clients want me to, they want to meet me in a tie in my office. So that's okay. And that's, if I was in estate planning, I probably would have done what you did, but, but it's worked out well for me. Everybody told me when I started that uh, being home most days uh, with my wife would make us hate each other and want to kill each other. And that has not happened. <laughs> uh, it's been fine. We get along fine. Well, you know, I was I was thinking about it, especially last night when I was going back and listening to our, our old episode. I, um, you know, you have a family. You, you've got a house full of people during the day. I don't. You know, I live alone and it's just me. And I think it could get lonely if I worked alone in my house. And I mean, there could be days there could be days in a row where I didn't see people and I, something for me, I enjoy going to the office. And even though I'm not necessarily working with these people, just even if I'm just sitting in my office by myself, even if I'm sitting in my office by myself with the door closed, there's something about just knowing that there are other people around um, is is somehow comforting. Um, and I, I might have made a different decision 
you know, if if I had it, you know, the house that I have now has a really nice dedicated working space. But, I, you know, I was thinking about that, but I, I really just like the idea of having a dedicated space that I go knowing this is where I work. Yeah, I don't think what you did. I think there's no wrong answer. And I think especially if with an estate plan practice, you did it right. But uh, it, it it there are a lot of options. Yeah, that That's the big point of all of this is you could do this on a shoestring now and 20 years ago in our business, you couldn't have, it just wouldn't have been possible. And I, I think you're seeing more and more people, you know, doing that now or, or more people like me and you teaming up and you're, so you're seeing instead of an office space that one person owns, you're seeing three or four people go into a smaller office space and, and co-working there. Uh, did you set up a legal entity? I, I did. And the funny thing was, you know, especially when I was first starting out, there were certain things that had to be done in, you know, kind of the funny part of this was was timing. Certain things had to be done in certain order. And setting up the legal entity, well, getting the office space was something that, that I could do because I, that was someone who I had a personal relationship with. But setting up the legal entity was actually one of the first things that had to be due. Uh, that I had to do. Um, I actually happened to become a PLLC. Part of that is is because of my state. Part of that is because of my profession. Um, part of that's because I'm a individual. You've got to talk to somebody in your individual state and probably a, a combination of a, an attorney and a CPA is to find out what the right legal entity for you is. I know you, you talked about that a little bit on free agents. But regardless, I found that setting up the legal entity first had to come first. And in some cases, you know, a week or two first, because that paperwork all had to process because I couldn't get my bank account. I couldn't get my insurance. I couldn't start paying for stuff until the legal entity was set up. And then I couldn't start paying for stuff until the bank account was set up. And, you know, it's kind of like all the, you know, what steps had to happen in the right sequence. Yeah, I, um, I did not immediately set up a legal entity when I started. I, I, part of me was afraid I'd get out and it just wouldn't work. And I didn't want to jinx myself, I guess. I don't know. And it was the middle of the year. So I I, I did set one up the following year, but the first year I, I was on my own. Uh, what about telephones? That's kind of technology-based. What did you do for telephones? Well, I, I did something, and I probably would have done it differently if I had to do it again. But I, I still can do it differently. Uh, I use a receptionist service. I think the same one you use. Um, we both use Ruby receptionists. Um, they are a third-party answering service. Because I, I feel like particularly in my industry where I have clients and, and not necessarily clients that I have ongoing relationship, but new clients calling me all the time, I needed a professional answering my phone. So Ruby receptionist answers all of my calls. And um, if I had to do it over again, what I would have done is I would have let Ruby do everything because Ruby will answer the calls. They will host your number. They will give you a number. Um, and that's a number that you can own, by the way. And, um, you know, they've got a, a very good, I, I love their iOS app because you can do things on the app. Like you can tell Ruby, um, you know, where they've got a great force touch feature now where you can tell Ruby to hold calls for an hour, hold calls to the end of the day, or you can get real granular and it connect it with your calendar and tell them, oh, I'm going to be in court from 9 to 1130 today. And then I've got a lunch meeting from 12 to 130. And then I've got a client meeting from three to four. And, and they will actually customize what they tell people based on, you know, what, what statuses you've set, you know, linked to your calendar. Um, and, and if they host your number, 
you can get very granular and say, you know, I'm going to answer my calls today or I'm going to let my calls ring a little bit and then go to Ruby. So if it's someone I know, I'll pick it up. And if it's someone I don't know, then I'll let Ruby pick it up. Um, So I think if I had to do it over again, I would have done just everything with Ruby. What I ended up doing um, is I do have a phone on my desk and my number is hosted through a, a VoIP service that um, that then forwards calls to Ruby to answer. So the phone can ring at my desk a few times and then forward. The, the reason I did that is um, because I had a relationship with a client who runs a local VoIP company and it was just easy and we set it up quickly and, you know, they, they wanted to support me. And so I appreciated that. But uh, the easier solution would have been just to do everything with Ruby. Yeah, it is. Um, it's hard honestly, to figure out those questions, especially going in, cause you don't know what, you know, how much you're going to need the telephone. And that's, that is a cost that you're not sure how much it can end up costing you. Voice services are always kind of in flux. I started with Google voice. I think when we recorded last show, I, on this, I said, I had a Google voice account and I found after time that Google voice, I don't know what's going on at Google, but it's starting to delay, you know, the, the timing, like there was a delay in it. So it was like, I would say it's like an old episode of MASH, you know, when Radar would talk to Sparky and you have to wait for the, the it was, it was no way to run a, you know, a lot of practice. So eventually I actually transitioned my, um, my Google voice number over to Ruby and they took control of it. And now I've got all those cool benefits, but, um, you know, not every business needs a, a warm body answering the phone. A lot, some people, um, can get away with just a direct, uh, robot message. Some people need to hire a person to sit at a phone in their office. Just kind of depends where you're at. Jason and I just recorded an episode on this for free agents. that hasn't been published yet, but it'll be out real shortly here. So if you're interested in this further, we spent a bunch of time talking about telephone services, but it sounds like you got one that works for you. And, and I love, I love the thing I love about Ruby. I mean, they're not a sponsor or anything, um, but the, uh, I do love the, the, the way they've embraced technology. You, you go in the app, you can, you can set like templates about when you're busy, when you're not busy. Like Katie said, you can even get it access your calendar. And, and the force touch thing is awesome. If I'm going into a meeting, I just force touch the icon on my phone and then press one hour. And then I don't get any calls for the next hour. I don't get disturbed during a meeting. The, um, the other, uh, nice benefit of having them take over the numbers. I'm actually to dial out through their app on my iPhone and it, it shows the caller ID as my office number. So if I'm calling an opposing counsel or somebody, I don't want to have my cell phone number. I can do that. Yeah. And the beauty of that is it's great for um, a, a one man or a one woman show because you don't have to have any phone other than your cell phone. Now, if you start to get in a situation where there are multiple people or you have staff, then you're probably going to have to look at a, at a more traditional phone service or a VoIP phone service. I know a lot of people like Ring Central. Um so that might be something to look at. The The VoIP services can be a lot more competitive in price than a, than a traditional phone system. You know, I just, I'd say, look at it. There are, there are a lot of options now. Yeah. I, I got ring central for my um, fax line because, you know, unfortunately, even in 2017, I still occasionally get faxes and just depends on who I'm dealing with. Um, uh, but it's usually somebody that's not very tech savvy. And I just got the renewal on that and they renewed it and it was something like $160. Ugh. And I don't know how that happened. Cause when I signed up for it, it was less than a hundred dollars a year. And it's like, I've already paid it now. And that's, uh, but I, part of me desperately wants to just cancel that and, and be done with faxes. But 
probably about every three months I hear from some client or some opposing counsel that wants to fax me something. Yeah, you're, if you think about it, you're paying a huge amount per fax. You'd, you'd almost be better oh, off ridiculous. finding a pay-per-fax service. Yeah, or just turning it off and telling people, just take a picture of it with your phone and you know send it to me. Or, or sending them a, an iTunes gift card for a fax, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. I know. I know. Anyway, I, that, that's, that is something on my list of things to be, you know, like, like all small business people, I have like, um, a list of things I look at as the year, year end approaches. And that's one for me is what do I do with the fax line as I head into next year? Well, um, listeners, if you have any ideas, um, tweet us, uh, at Mac power users or, um, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com If you have any low cost or pay per fax service, the, the big thing though, that I think is important is we need a dedicated number. It can't be a number that changes all the time. Um, one of the things that I'm right on the cusp of is support staff. I will tell you that business has been good and I, I am about, I am treading water as to how much I can do as an office of one. And I am right there with either needing to look at contracting with some other people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of considering the virtual assistant thing, but I'm not real sure what I would outsource. I'm nervous about the idea of of hiring a full-time employee. I'm I'm not really sure I want to do that. Um, The support staff is really the next big question for me. I don't know how I'm going to solve that because I really need some administrative type help, but I really also need someone who's kind of familiar with my with my field and because we, we tend to do the same types of things over and over again, but they also need to have some, some, some knowledge in my field. So I, I don't know that it's the type of stuff that I could just outsource to, you know, a, a virtual, um, uh, a, a virtual assistant because they, they may not necessarily have that specific knowledge. So I know you have done some outsourcing of administrative tasks. So I'm curious how that experiment has gone. Um, I, this was, I, I discovered this when I worked for other people as well. Um, if you bring someone in with the right attitude, if they're smart, even if they don't have a lot of knowledge in your field, they can learn it up pretty quickly. Cause you're not asking them to write the wills. You're asking them to process them. And I have the same experience with corporate documents. Uh, like I, the, I, there's a person that I've got helping me out. She's, she has a master's degree and she's not never worked in law before, but she's a very smart person and she's helping me out with some of the back end stuff. And we're going to do a whole show on this, but I think Katie and I are both still dipping our toes. We want to give you the show when we've got answers, not just questions. And uh, I can tell you, I've done some experiments. I, everything I've done so far makes me want to do more of it. And I think it's really the answer for me of kind of getting uh, my life a little more sane. So um, that that's a whole show coming. <laughs> so I don't know what else to say about right You're now. You're going to make me wait that, for the answer. Well, I don't really have all the answers yet, but I, I'm, I, I think that, uh, if you're looking for someone with specialized knowledge in your field, I think I don't think that should be necessarily um, as important as you may think it is. If you find the right person who's got the right attitude and who's got a, a good brain, uh, he or she will be able to uh, pick that stuff up. And then I'll tell you another big issue, and, and I certainly don't want to get political, um, was insurance. Um, the The three big ones for me being a, a sole practitioner or someone out on my own was um, health insurance is a big one. Uh, I have to buy my own health insurance now because I'm not on a, on a group plan. 
Um, professional liability insurance was another one. Um, We as professionals have what we call professional liability insurance so that if we make an error as a professional, that there's there's coverage there, you know, as well as just general liability. What what happens if somebody slips and falls in in your office or, or something like that? Um, and then for me, um, disability insurance, I thought, was was also something that was very important because if something were to happen and I were unable to practice for some period of time, you know, there there would be nothing coming in. You know, that, that would be that. So those, those were the three that I did. I always tell clients, because uh, I help a lot of new clients starting new businesses, I say the three people you need in your life are a good attorney, a good accountant, and a good insurance broker. So sounds like you figured that out. Yeah, and that's what I did for um, for most of those is um, I, I went through um, an agency for the health insurance, and they were able to give me a lot of good advice in terms of options, what the different plans meant, what what I was paying for, you know, in this plan that costs, yeah, this plan costs 50 bucks more a month, but this is what you get. And they were able to look at who my doctors were and make sure that my doctors were in network and and those types of things. So that that was very helpful. Um, in terms of um, liability and disability insurance, I was connected with companies through um, associations that I'm a member with, you know, through my bar association. Um, I was able to get preferred and group rates for even though I'm an individual for those um, because of my affiliation. So if, if you're a member of a professional association or something like that, um, definitely price out other options, um, but also look to see if those are options as well. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fracture. For more information, visit FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power Users in the one question survey. So Fracture is a photo decor company that is out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. They print your images directly on glass and add a laser cut rigid backing. And they are absolutely gorgeous. You pull your Fracture out of the box. And I got to tell you, the box is pretty cool because they've got to ship glass across the country and they do it really well. And they are ready to display right out of the box. Boom. They even include a little wall anchor. So all you have to do is put the wall anchor in the wall. Put your photo on the wall and boom, you're done. You upload your digital photo, you pick your size. It is that simple. Something magical happens in the fracture process and it just makes the color and contrast of your photos really pop. And the sleek frameless design lets your photos stand out while it will match any decorating style. You don't have to pick a match. You don't have to pick a frame. You don't have to worry about all this matchy matchy stuff. I tell you, I've got fractures in my office of prints from when we were up in Alaska a couple of years ago and they are huge conversation pieces whenever somebody comes by. They are absolutely gorgeous. So you can do what I did and bring a special memory to life or fractures are great to give as a unique gift. I frequently will give a fracture gift certificate when someone's getting married or have a baby because they are wonderful to decorate your home with moments that tell your stories. Businesses like mine also like using fracture prints to brighten up their workspaces or give them as corporate gifts and awards. Be sure to ask them about their professional and bulk order discounts before you order. All fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee so you know that you're going to love your order and each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials in their carbon neutral factory. So for more information, visit FractureMe.com slash podcast. And when you get to that URL, make sure you mention Mac Power users in their one question survey because it helps support the show and let Fracture know that you came from us. Again, FractureMe.com slash podcast. Thanks, Fracture. Katie, one of the things you did when you first started that I was really impressed with was you really had your branding act together. What did you do to get that started? I called Frank. Um, 
<laughs> so the uh, the guy who, who, by the way, his name is not Frank, uh, but that's what everybody at Relay calls him. So I was like, can you connect me with Frank? And they're like, you know, that's not his name, right? And I was like, okay. Um, I uh, Forgotten Towel is his handle. So you can find him on, on Twitter at Forgotten Towel. But um, I got connected and, and I will just call him Frank for purposes of, of this conversation because I'm I'm not sure if, uh, if if he uses a pseudonym or not. But um I got in touch with Frank. He did the uh the logo for Mac Power users. He does all of the logo work for Relay FM. Um and I said, uh hey, do uh do you take on individual clients? And he's like, well yes I do. And I said, well let me tell you about this thing I'm doing. And um he asked me a, a couple of questions. It, um, you know, he basically asked me, you know, what, what am I looking for? I told him I wanted something simple, clean, professional. Um, I told him that I wanted something that looked just as good in black and white as it did in color because I knew I was going to be printing my own. This was a tip we got from Ben Carter, who did our show a little while ago. He said, you know, he, he buys paper and basically prints his own letterhead as opposed to spending all that money on on custom stationery. Um, and so I, um, told him I wanted something that looks just in black and white as it does in color. And I told him, I said, you know, generally I, I like green and blue, you know, those are, those are colors that I like. And he's like, all right, well, um, I'll, I'll, I've got some ideas, um, and I'll, I'll go off and I'll, he basically came up with a couple of different ideas for me. Um, and he said, and, and they were different, they were, you know, different ideas. And he said, what, what, not saying this is the final, but which of these is on the right track? So from those, we were able to narrow down the one that I thought that I liked the best. And we tweaked that. And within about two weeks, we, we had a logo that I really, really like. And uh, he did my logo, he did my business cards, uh, he did my letterhead for me. So I had fonts and colors and he put together a whole package for me. And so now anytime I need anything printed, or um, anything uh, custom done, I can just say, uh, here's my logo, these are my colors, these are my fonts, go at it. Yeah, I still haven't got around to that. You, you should call <laughs> yeah. Frank. I should. Um, now, I, I'm trying to remember, so a blue um, uniform is a science officer in Star Trek land. Yeah, and there's no green in Star Trek, yes. There's no there's green. There's no green. Okay. Um, but my, but maybe a horticulture, but I guess that would be a science I officer. Um, I, my office is printed. Uh, I, I actually, what I did. So my, uh, my bedroom is, um, is called waters. Uh, w- one is called water's edge and one is called, I don't remember, but they're, um, they're Benjamin Moore paint colors that I really liked. And I was like, does this help you? And he's like, yeah, that gives me, that gives me a scheme to go on. So it's based on your bedroom colors. That's awesome. Uh, my, my, my bedroom and my office. I said, I really like these colors. <laughs> Did you ever get uh, when they had Star Trek out in Las Vegas at the, uh, the uh, I think it was the MG, no, it wasn't the MGM. It was one of the casinos. They had a Star Trek like Corks Bar. Did you ever make I it out there? I never did. No, it was horrible. Yeah. Just curious. I, I went there. It was fun. You would have no, liked rub it. it in. Okay. Um, you put up a website. How'd you do that? I did. I did. Let me guess. <laughs> <laughs> I registered the Was do- it a little known company that no one's ever heard of called Squarespace? I registered the domain name with Hover. I actually registered. Okay. So this should tell you something. I went back and looked at Hover. I'd registered the domain name four years ago. Yeah. I had done the same thing. I, I registered Spark CSQ a long time ago, and I wasn't even sure what I'd do with it at the time, but but yeah, I had it a long time. Um, but apparently not long enough ago because I only got the .net and not the .com. So it's floydlaw.net. And um, I registered... Um, so I registered that oh, a couple of years ago, and I had that. Um, and then I, I did a Squarespace, Squarespace site. Yeah. 
It looks great. Yeah. It looks and great. the funny thing is I actually did the Squarespace site once before I launched. And then you know, I find sometimes I have to do different versions of things. I completely redid it. I launched in September. I completely redid it over Christmas vacation. The, uh, the a couple of things I've done with the site is I've integrated a couple of forms, um, like a couple of client intake forms. So for very common things I do, like estate planning questionnaires and probate questionnaires, like I'll give clients a free consultation if they fill out a questionnaire. And so what I've done is I've created those questionnaires um, in Word and then converted them to a PDF and then using PDF Pen Pro made those form fields created form fields and made all those form fields fillable. So people can actually go right on my website, click the form, get the form, type in it, please, um, you know, so that I can read it or they can download it. Um, And then, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my clients really like that. All of my younger clients love it. They're like, oh, I can just go right to your website and I can type right in the form and bring it with me or, you know, whatever. Works great. Now, do you do, have you looked into like, um, online collection of that data like if you were to work with some of the um, like file manager type applications or the database online database applications you could actually collect that information from the website into a database uh, to when the you know so the client doesn't even print it out they just fill it out and you collect it automatically you could I looked at them I think Lexicata is a company that that does that particularly for attorneys um, for me the cost benefit wasn't worth it because it was it was um, you know, that started at somewhere between 50 bucks a month and, and went up for there. And I will tell you, based on the type of law that I do, a significant portion of my clients are older. And um, a lot of people are just, some people were just mailing those forms too. You know, so a lot of people are printing those out and handwriting those forms. So I'm not sure. There definitely would be some people who would do it online and that would be nice, but we would still have to have the paper forms to send to people. I also think just as a lawyer, you probably don't want a lot of the type of information people are writing down stored electronically online somewhere. Um, It just, if it ever were to get hacked, it it subjects you to liability and all sorts of issues. So it may be better off not to try. It's, it's somebody else's system too, that I, you know, I don't necessarily, I, I, when I get those papers back, I know they're in my system and I know how secure they are. And I know the practices that I'm taking to secure them. I'm not sure I want that information in somebody else's system. Well, you know what? That opens up our next subject. I, how are you managing files and paper? Um, I am. Everything is paperless, as we talked about. Um, I bought a second IX five hundred for the office. I've got one at my desk at home, and I have got one on my desk um, at the office. Um, that is the ScanSnap IX five hundred that converts everything into paper. I'm sorry, everything from paper into um, into a digital scan. And I, I actually, you know, we attorneys have retainer agreements. I've actually written into my retainer agreement with people that I don't keep original documents. So if somebody comes into my office with something, I scan it right then and there and hand it back to them. And as soon as I get paper from something, I scan it, you know, like if the mail comes in, uh, just right then and there, I scan it and and put it in the shred bin. I, I don't even want to deal with it. Yeah. It, it, now I've, I'm pushing on on two and a half years now, I have very few original documents that I've been required to keep. It's, you know, in a practice of law, I mean, traditionally, like you said, it's thousands of dollars a, a worth of filing cabinets. And I found that's just not true anymore if you're smart about it. Right. And, and you've got to manage that up front. Um, I have experimented with some document management solutions. 
I just decided that files and folders on the Mac is is the way to go. Um, you know, I have a document naming solution. I have systems for how I store things. And files and folders is the most universal for me. I don't have any proprietary software that I'm using. Um, I do keep everything in a Dropbox Pro account. I think it's called Dropbox Plus now because, you know, they changed their naming scheme. But um, the paid Dropbox account. And um, I have um, I, I've got the all the advanced security features turned on. I use a strong password that I don't use anywhere else. I use two-factor authentication. And if you go into preferences, you can tweak some settings so it will let you know when apps or computers connect. So if you see any weird things, you know, connecting, you, you can know that, that something's up. Yeah, there was a big discussion of this at the ABA Tech Show a few years ago where a lot of the traditional attorneys were against storing documents in the cloud. But then when you start talking to them, a lot of times they're running a very old server that they bought. You know, they don't want to update because it's $20,000 to replace a server. And it's running an older version of some server software that is not really that well monitored and it's connected to the internet. I, I think for a lot of people, these online accounts can be the most secure way to store documents. Um, before we get, get on to the next part, though, I wanted to go back a little bit. Uh, you talked about with um, Fujitsu, you're using the IX500. They make more professional line. You know, we talk about those because those are the consumer models. Those are the ones most of us are interested in. Did, did you ever consider like upping that to one of the fancier ones? No. I just use the iX500. It's fine. It's more than fine. When uh, when I do a, um, just to give you a general idea, when I do a his and her estate package, like for husband and wife together, that that includes like trusts and all of those types of documents, you can you can have upwards of a hundred pages for um, you know just total documents that that people sign, and and what I do is they sign all those documents at the table. Sometimes they wait on them. It kind of depends on what their situation is. And I tell them, well, if you give me 15 minutes, I can have these ready for you. Usually it's closer to 10. But what I do is they sign all those documents at the table. Um, I then, and keep in mind, it's it's just me. Um, I then run them through my ScanSnap so that I have electronic copies of them because that's how I store them. And then as a courtesy to them, uh, I'll make, you know, whatever copies they want because they may want paper copies. So I run them through the scan snap is the first thing that I do. Then I've got all the copies of them that I know. It takes two minutes or less generally to to do all that. Um, and then I take them to the copier because I have a copy machine that I have access to um, in my shared office space. And then I run whatever copies, you know, the client wants. Yeah, I don't know if it makes sense for a law practice, but the ScanSnap Cloud, the new service, they kind of they announced it about a year and a half ago, and now they just kind of redid it in the last six months, um, where you can have a ScanSnap not connected to your computer. Mine's not connected to my computer. Yeah, okay. So it's just so is it is it sending it? It's sending it directly to your computer, though. It's not going through their cloud service. It is though. Yeah. Yeah, they have that one now where they can go through their cloud service and it can autom- automatically sort through things for you. So like, if it's a business card, it'll put in the business card folder. It's a great idea, especially if you want to distribute things to multiple locations through cloud. Um, I've been experimenting with it. It's pretty good, except on very long documents. Sometimes it splits it up into more than one document. It gets confused. But uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. The X500, for as much as I scan, it's fine. And every day the mail comes in, it all gets scanned. And I'm not. it's not running 24-7. So the, even the consumer-grade one is is just fine yeah um the other thing that i do for for little things is i've got um i've got scanner pro on my phone and i use that for um 
basically I use I'll use it for documents in a pinch, but what I really use it for is um, is receipts and stuff like that. So I'll take pictures of receipts and those types of things. So I just don't have to keep that little stuff with me because I save all of that for um, tax and accounting purposes, and I have a workflow that saves those. To um, I have a I have a, again a series of folders in Dropbox. I have an admin folder, and inside that I have a business receipts folder, and everything goes into that business receipts folder. You know, it's named a certain way, and then Hazel organizes everything by date. I do the same thing. I use Scanbot, but it's same it's, thing. Th- yeah, <laughs> they're very similar apps. I, I find it's very useful uh, when I'm out. Like just yesterday, I had to go to FedEx to. FedEx and things I had to get out yesterday. And at FedEx, I took a picture of the receipt and got it saved to the cloud without having to, you know, because the time between picking up the receipt at the location and getting back to your scanner, sometimes that is a critical time and you lose things. Yeah, it happens. Um, But yeah, that's, it's, it's been great. And I will tell you, I know you'll be so proud. I am using the iPad more and more um, since I've opened my own practice because I'm not taking paper files to court anymore. I will take like paper copies of orders because the judges still want their orders and paper to sign. But that that will be what I walk into with as a paper copy of the order for the judge and a folder and my iPad and my purse. And uh, you know, some some people look at me a little funny when I come to court and I have nothing. I, you know, I just I, I have my purse and I'm like, yeah, I'm here. What do you need? <laughs> and occasionally a judge will say, well, I didn't you know, I didn't see that. And I'll just hand them my iPad and they look at it and that's fine. Um, if you've got a document stored on Dropbox, you can favorite a folder and it in essence downloads the documents to that, to that device. So you don't have a problem with not having access to something you need when you're standing in front of the guy with the black robe. Yeah. I try to do that before I leave the office. Exactly. So you just favorite it before and you've got everything downloaded and you're good to go. I am doing a, another grand experiment with iCloud. Of course you are. <laughs> I know, I know. I can, I can just feel your head shaking side to side. But in in the most recent betas of iOS 11, they fixed a bunch of the things that I've been complaining about for years. And um, and I just wanted to 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 see how it's going. And man, it this it's too early to say. We'll we'll cover this in future content on the show. But it's a lot better. It's a lot better. Um. Anyway, uh, Hazel. You hazeling any much of these days? Everything gets hazeled. Yeah. We hear from so many Mac Powers listeners that run small businesses off Hazel. It's like the, it's like the backbone of these little businesses. And, uh, and I understand why it's a very powerful I application. I probably have a hundred rules in Hazel now. It's, it's that powerful. Um, things that get downloaded to, um, I need to come up with a better rule, um, for organizing things in, and I'm working on it. I'm working on my syntax for it. Um, for having it organized pleadings that I've downloaded into into folders by case number and things, but things are things are are titled differently and numbered differently based on where they come from. So uh, it it does all all of my administrative stuff gets automatically filed and organized by Hazel. Something I've been doing a lot more recently with Hazel is actively using tags, um, and not so much as tags to search things out later, but just as a, a very simple way to categorize files or groups of files. So Hazel can have that information. So that, that may be something that helps you with your pleadings. Cause you can apply a tag to a group of files really easy. And then once it knows what, what case it belongs to, you can probably Hazel can sort out the rest for you. Uh, what, what's one of the more unique uses for Hazel that you're doing? I have a couple of rules that are like nested on other rules and nested on other rules. So, um, 
Like I will, um, all of my billing is, is paperless and we can talk about that a little bit later, but, um, I will still download copies of, of bills that I send to each other, to other people and to, um, to save them. So Hazel, so down, those get, those all get downloaded and, and Hazel saves them and organize them. Um, I don't know that that's particularly fancy, but it just requires a couple of series of rules nested with each other. It's like pull them into a certain folder to do a second, secondary sort. Yeah, to or, do a secondary sort on them. So like if they're all in your downloads folder, it, it, it knows that those are invoices. It puts them in an invoice folder. And then from there, you can get a lot more granular, like if it includes a certain client name or whatever. One of the things that I'm working on, and I don't quite have it perfected, but I order a lot of stuff off Amazon. Um, we all do, don't we? Um, but but personal and business. And when I order it for business purposes, I, I use my personal Amazon account. I don't have a separate personal and, and business Amazon account. But when I order stuff for the business off Amazon, um, it always I have two credit cards saved in Amazon. One is personal and one is business. And so anything that I order for business purposes off Amazon gets charged to the business credit card, unless I screwed up. But most of the time it does. Um, so what I, I'm working on a Hazel rule and I'd say I've got it about 80% of the time, but sometimes Amazon does funky things with their, their invoices, um, where it will find an Amazon order in my downloads folder. Um, it will find the last couple of digits of the credit card and it knows that that credit card is my business credit card and it will find the total of the order because most of the time, the, the Amazon says grand total colon, and then it gives you an amount. So I'm using um, the match feature in Hazel to pull the amount out of the invoice. And then I'm um, renaming it with the date that it's from Amazon in the amount and then moving it to my business receipts folder. So that's helpful. So it's you're including the amount of the invoice in it. I do that because it helps me flag them later to to send to my bookkeeper so they know which Amazon receipt was this? Was it the $20 receipt or was it the $40 receipt? Yeah. You should publish that once you get it, you know, once I get it totally figured out. Yeah. Because sometimes it doesn't work and I'm, I'm trying to figure out why doesn't it work. Some of these services, they like, I have the same experience with PayPal when people buy um, my, um, my, some of my video field guides I sell, you you, you get a PayPal receipt and PayPal, the language varies and just the way the email is generated varies. So a Hazel rule will not work hundred percent of the time. So then I make variations of it and I end up with two or three variations before I get it nailed down. Uh, another way to kind of fix that problem or, or troubleshoot it is in the more recent versions of Hazel, you can test a rule against an invoice. So I, I would recommend testing it. And if it doesn't pass the test, try blocking and copying text out of the email itself and pasting it into Hazel where you're creating the rule. And you'll see where it it got lost, where somehow the email added a funky space or something. And if you see that happen repeatedly, then you just make a separate rule looking for that identifier and doing the same thing. Yeah, you got to work your way around this stuff sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and it's funny because explaining this to somebody who hasn't had hands-on experience with it, they'll just look at you like, what? I got to do what? Yeah. And I know it sounds like a big pain in the neck, but it really doesn't take that long. I mean, especially guys and gals who listen to this show are are probably already familiar with a lot of these tools. So if you just spend a few minutes perfecting it, then you never have to do that again. Now, every time you buy something on Amazon, you use your company credit card, you know, it automatically gets filed and sorted and you never think about it again, which is, that's, that's really powerful. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password, the superior password management tool 
Head over to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to get 20% off. One of the reasons I love using 1Password for managing my security on my devices is that the gang at 1Password seems to never sleep. They're always adding new features, and there's a couple good ones they just added with their Picnic Edition for Mac and iOS that I want to share. The first deals with one-time passwords. You know, with a lot of two-factor authentications and other services, you get one-time passwords that you add onto your password when logging into services. No longer do you have to try and remember those yourself. 1Password will now save those for you and paste them in right with the 1Password extension. This was an immediate game changer for me because I use a lot of services that have these one-time passwords. Another great feature in 1Password is the ability to have vaults, where you can have specific buckets of passwords that make sense to keep together. This is particularly true if you're using a shared plan with your work or your family like I am, where you don't want everybody to have access to all the passwords. So with this latest update, you can create these vaults right within 1Password itself. It's never been easier to create the vaults, and now you've got no excuse not to go start setting them up with your account. I promise you, once you do, you'll understand why you should have them. A third new big feature they've added is really useful on iOS. They can now show you the date your passwords are created and modified. This is a great way to stay on top of your security. I was testing this feature out on my iPhone and saw that I had a password I created six years ago, and I'm still using. That's crazy. So I replaced the password. Uh, with the service, and now I've got a fresh new password that's even more secure. 1Password started out life as a Mac app. This company is really dedicated to the Apple platforms, and they've got great applications for the Mac and iOS. This latest update is just one more example of how hard they're working for us. Uh, if you're not using 1Password, then you should. Just go check it out. Go over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps. They'll give you a discount, and it's a great service. I'm so happy I use it, and you will be too. Thanks, 1Password, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. In addition to managing your files, how are you dealing with the general ideas of time management and productivity? Well, a lot of what I do, you know, so much is an email. Um, uh, so much is on my, my calendar. Um, I use the the Google app suite for email contacts and calendars. That works well. It's it's five bucks a month. And as a Google apps, you, you get your own domain. You get a lot of email storage. Um, it's Google is a little little less uh, creepy. When you're a Google, I think it's called G Suite now. I, I think Google even announced, and I am not 100% certain on this, but, but they are, they have announced that they're not even reading the email anymore. Yeah. I don't know if that's. I don't know whether they just found other ways or better ways to do things, but <laughs> yeah. they, they were generally less creepy when you were doing Google Apps for business email. But now I guess they're generally less creepy overall, maybe. I, I don't know. Let's hope. Let's hope. But 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 it is interesting to me that someone like you who is so invested in Apple and um, did go with Google. I mean, was there a reason that you chose Google? I did. I did it basically for future expandability um, because I I wanted to have all of that email in the cloud. Um, I wanted to have a big bucket of email storage. Uh, you know, I looked at the other options. The other options were basically using you know fast mail. I, I didn't want to use Exchange. I certainly didn't want to use iCloud. I mean, I wanted to have a, you know, at floydlaw.net email address. So, you know, Google made sense. I wanted the ability to be able to, if I added someone else in the future, you know, just add and remove them. And so my options were really Exchange or Google Apps because I thought it was possible that I might add somebody in the future. Well, you, you could add somebody with an iMac account. That's like even Hover. I have that now. I have 
I have like assistant at Max Sparky and David at Max Sparky. So I have, cause I've got people helping me like we were talking about earlier. So I've added additional email accounts. Yeah. But I also wanted to have that calendaring and, and all of those things as well. To me, the big question, cause I always felt like Google has the most automation friendly tools. Like if you look at if this, the nut, you, there's some crazy stuff you can do with mail sorting and Google mail that you can't do with a, a typical IMAP account because it just doesn't go as deep and give IFTTT as much power to read and see what's going on. Um, whereas with a IMAP account, and I ultimately went with an IMAP account for my law practice, um, I felt like they were more portable. You know, with Google, you're kind of stuck with the Google app or one of the apps that plays nicely with Google, where th- with a standard IMAP account, you can use it in any email client. And, and that's why I eventually decided to go IMAP. Yeah. Of course, I've got um, SaneBox, who we talk about quite regularly on the show. Um, they're a longtime sponsor uh, connected to that. And so that's been a big help. Um, the other service, um, I, I use MailButler on top of that. Um, I'm sorry, not MailButler. I, I actually do use MailButler on top of that for for some things like, did I forget to add an attachment? Um, you know, because that's embarrassing when you do things like that. And um, I schedule a lot of emails. Um, mail act on has the ability to send emails at a scheduled time because I, I respond to, I have emails going, I really wish Apple mail would build this in by, by default or, or Google would build it in by default on their, on their, um, on their web service. But I send emails at all times, but I don't necessarily want my recipient to get them until business hours because I don't want to set the expectation with my clients that I'm available 24 seven. But sometimes I'm working, you know, after dinner or something, and I just want to clear out the inbox or I just want to get stuff done um, because I want it off my plate, but I don't really want it to send until nine o'clock the next morning or something. So I'll, I'll queue up, but I'll, you know, respond to a bunch of emails and queue them up to go at nine o'clock the next morning. Um, and I'll do that. Um, if I'm doing it from home, I'll do it with, with a mail act on, um, if I'm doing it from the same thing. The only problem with that though, is you have to keep your Mac on and you have to, um, you have to keep mail open because otherwise mail act on is not going to send it. There's a, there's a third, I really wish Sanebox would add this feature, although I don't, don't know that they can. Um, there's a third party service called boomerang, um, for Google and it's not really cost effective. They have a, a, a free service that I think gives you ten a month, and so far I haven't I haven't bumped up against that. Um, it's not really economical for Google Apps users who who need it a little bit, but not a whole lot more than that. And it will do things like it will allow you to schedule to send later um, on the IMAPs on the um, on the website. So I I used that before, like when I'm out of town. So um, I can send emails on certain days and at certain times when I know my computer's not going to be on. Yeah, and I, I kind of like the idea of controlling that from my device and not somewhere on the internet. Um, although I understand the advantages of it. Uh, I, so I do the same thing. I, I just do that on my iMac and I don't do it on my laptop because of that problem. Because you say, okay, I want this to go out at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And then, you know, you forget later, you shut the lid. You go to bed, you wake up, and maybe you don't open the laptop till 3 p.m. the next afternoon, and suddenly the email shoots out then. So <laughs> it's not really that helpful. Then you, you've gone from being um, not being someone who responds at 11 p.m. to someone who is really late and <laughs> responds at 3 p.m. the following day. So. And, and I think that probably works a little better for you because, again, your, your, your iMac is your everything Mac for these types of things. I've, I've got a laptop at home and a Mac Mini at the office. So 
you know, unfortunately, if I'm responding to emails at 11 o'clock at night, it's on my laptop at home, which means I got to leave that laptop running. Probably if I, if I leave early the next morning, I got to leave that laptop running while I'm on, I've gone the next morning. Yeah, th- that is a uh, problem that could have a better solution. Yeah. That's for sure. Definitely could. Task management? Oh, of course. I'm using OmniFocus. Um, we've talked about that quite a bit. I, I have found that there have been times, and I'm sure this happens with everybody, where I have become less diligent um, in my GTD. And and when I let those um, tasks pile up, and and I really find that I have to buckle down and, and clean things up. Because when you find that you have 17 overdue tasks, well, you really don't. Because if you did, things would be on fire. So you really have to go back in and prioritize how how important are these really tasks that have due dates? Are these really things that are are these just things that I are, I'm hoping kind of thinking I might want to do at some point? So easy. It, it's so easy to just start adding due dates to things You're like, oh, I, I really need to get that done today. So I'm going to give it a 5 p.m. due date. But you don't really need to get it done. And uh, I, I'm such a big fan of of turning those into flags when you have that. When you like, this is something I really want to get done. But you know what? The world will not end if I don't. So then you flag it and you take the due date off. And, and I know you've talked about this for a long time. The, the only way to really do that is to have a, a, a regular review. Um, and, and, to, and, and it's going to take you some time, but to take time to sit down, you know, maybe block off a Friday to sit down to set up projects for your projects, uh, or in my case, to set up projects for your clients, to really put that stuff where it goes um, and then to set up a, a weekly review so you know that every week you're reviewing everything and you can start so, so that things aren't really slipping through the cracks. It is. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, it's like Jason Snell uh, over on Upgrade, another Relay show, has been talking lately how he wants to start doing some task management. But he doesn't want anything that's going to take time for him to manage. He doesn't want to be he doesn't want to turn it into a game, I think is the word he used. And I understand the sentiment, but. Uh, I know for my life, I need something that's really powerful and does, frankly, take a little bit of time to manage. Um, you know, I've been running one of the ways I've been trying to figure out where I get an assistant is by running a bunch of timers. So lately, I've been timing everything I do. How much time do I spend in OmniFocus? How much time do I spend answering, cu- you know, customer email, blah, blah, blah. And that's giving me a lot of data to decide where I could hire people to take some of the load off. And one of the things I discovered is I spend a lot less time in OmniFocus than I thought I did, you know, because it's such a big, important part of my life and I'm in it, you know, quite often through the day. And, and I do spend time in the morning and the evening if I'm doing things right, but it's not as much time as I thought, which is, was kind of refreshing for me to realize. Anyway, um, uh, what about, um, I know you're doing some cool online calendar stuff that I'm not doing. Tell me about that. Well, I, I'm using a service called Calendly, and I think we talked about this a little bit on our calendar. I I am like 90% in love with it, and there is one little change they could make that would make it all better for me. Um, they they have improved it quite a bit since I've joined, so that's that's what gives me hope. What Calendly does is it enables you to set up events and to set up criteria for events, and then enables you to send people links or to publish links. So for example, I've got some links published on my website to allow people to schedule with you. So um, one event you may have may be lunch. So I have an event called lunch. Um, It's available Monday through Friday. 
It's available from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And one one can be scheduled per day because I'm not going to eat multiple lunches. And if I set up a lunch with Calendly, it, it asks for a couple of bits of information. Um, so, for example, um, I sent an email to a colleague of mine who I, I, I know well, but I'd like to get to know her better. And we're on a committee together. And I just sent her a note. And I said, you know, hey, it was so great to get to meet you. Um, we're working on this project together. Um, I'd love to get to know you a little better. How about we have lunch one day? And then I have a text expander snippet that is a schedule semicolon. And then it pops up an optional, um, you know, fill the box snippet. And then it says, do I want to schedule coffee? Do I want to schedule lunch? Do I want to schedule? And then I have another a, a bunch of um, work-related ones. So I picked the one that says lunch. And um, it says, if you have a specific time in mind, please let me know. Otherwise, the fastest way to get on my calendar is to schedule directly using this link. And then it pre-populates the, um, the Calendly link for lunch. And when they click on that page, what they will see um, is they will see a calendar. It's a very pretty interface. Um, they'll see a calendar. They'll see dates that I'm available to have lunch. And then they fill out a form. Um, it, it's got their name. I try to keep it as simple as possible. It's got their name. It's got their phone number. They pick the day. They pick the time. And it already knows when I'm available or not because it connects to my Google Calendar. Um, and then it has a, a multi-choice questionnaire. It says, where shall we meet? And I give them four options and then an option for other if you don't like any of my options. So I basically picked four restaurants that are, you know, kind of fairly conveniently located. I've, I've got a Mexican, I've got an Italian, I've got kind of a casual. You know, so I tried to pick a cross, uh, you know, I've got the deli on it, of course. Um, so I tr- The deli, yeah, that's all you the have deli. to say. So I've kind of picked a broad range or I've just said other and then put in parentheses, list where you want to go in notes. So if somebody wants to go in a particular place, they can list it. And then I have a field for notes that is optional. So somebody wants to schedule lunch with me, they click on the link, they put in their name, their phone number, they click where they want to go. Boom, it's on my calendar. They get an email confirming it. I get an email saying it's been set up. It's automatically put on my calendar. And then 24 hours before the appointment, they get an email reminder that says it, and it's customized with text that I've created that, that says, hey, uh, looking forward to our lunch tomorrow. Um, as a reminder, here are the details. And it says, you know, this is where you would like to go. And it shows where they picked. Um, and then it says, see you then. And so um, I don't have to worry about people no showing on me. It's on my calendar. So I'm going to get a reminder about it. And it's great. And um, I use that for lunches. I use it for coffee. I use it for certain types of regular client meetings. And um, I use it for setting up consultations and uh, office appointments and phone calls with my receptionist. So my receptionist has the ability to schedule with me through Calendly. So if I'm not able to take a call, but somebody wants to talk with me, for example, I was in court this morning um, and my receptionist knew that I was out until one o'clock, but she was able to schedule a 15 minute phone call with a client for me who called while I was in court for 3.30 today because she knew I was free at 3.30. Now, when you're talking about your receptionist, you're talking about Ruby, right? Yeah, I'm talking about Ruby. That's that's what happens. That's great. And I assume it's a she. Ruby has he's too, so it could be a he, but it's mostly she's. So it all works together. Yep. Did you buy any new hardware when you set the whole thing up? Let's see. Um, I, I I brought a Mac Mini from home that I that I repurposed. So so that worked. I didn't have to rebuy that. I um I did buy a fairly inexpensive laser printer, and it was just the the late the wire cutter choice. It was a a brother, monochrome. Um, and I did that because I already had access in the office to, 
um, a, a high speed printer copier type thing. So I just wanted something that I could I could use on my desk. I see. I, I brought the I bought the wire cutter color um, brother uh, laser printer. It's been great having color laser printer all this time with the business. So how often do you really print in color? Uh, well, my letterhead has a little bit of color in it. That's probably the most frequent. But I've always been someone who believed in um, whenever I'm writing something for a judge or a mediator, or even sometimes for clients, if a, if a color diagram or a chart helps get the idea across better, I've always been someone who would do it. Even in the old days, I would take it in and get it printed uh, just because, you know, that's your job as a lawyer is to sell ideas and you want to have every advantage you can. Um, the other, you know, honestly, I did not buy much. And that was, that was a good thing because it was a time when I'd already put out a fair amount of money for insurance and those types of things. The other thing that I bought that I really liked, and again, it was another recommendation by our friend um, Ben Carter, is I bought the Dynamo Twin Turbo Laser Printer. Um, this thing is amazing. D- did you end up buying one of these? Because you should. Yeah. Yeah. I, I bought it. Okay. You, 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 you talked talk me you into, it. into it on the show. Yeah. So yeah. basically what this is, um, is it prints labels? And it's the twin turbo, which means it will print. It, it's got two. You, you can get them that just print one, but this one, this one, you can load up with two different types of labels. So for mine, in the left bay, I have um, mailing labels. You know, just like the what is it, four inches by half inch. You know, whatever whatever standard size mailing label is. So if I have to print a one-off label for an envelope or something like that, and they have software that's Mac-specific, I just pop open there, I either pull an address from my address book, or I copy and paste an address in there, boom, the label comes out, and it even has the little barcode stuff at the bottom for the post office, um, and it's done. And it doesn't even have to be an address label, it could just be like a label that I'm putting on an envelope for something that says, you know, John and Jane Smith estate planning document copies, or something like that. So um, that that works. It just looks a little more professional than me handwriting and my horrible handwriting on a on an envelope for them. Um, so that that comes there. Then in the right side, um, I have it filled with postage stamp labels. And Dynamo has teamed up with. I think the way you pronounce their name is Indicata, or I, I don't know if you're familiar with that company. I could be totally mispronouncing it. I thought it was Indicia, but maybe I'm Indicia no. could be that. Yeah. But it's a company that you can buy postage stamps. It's, yeah, through. it's a company that you can buy postage from. Um, and they've got two different plans with them. Now, they've got a pay-as-you-go plan specifically for Dynamo owners, which is the one that I'm on. Um, it's great because you buy the labels, and you get the labels from Amazon. It's where I get them. You can also buy them from Dynamo. But I buy them from Amazon, and you get, like, I don't know, a lot of labels for, like, 25 bucks. And you just pop them in, and I've I've been printing off the same roll of labels for over a year, so I get a lot of labels, and that works out well. Or you can um, subscribe for fifteen bucks a month. Now, if if you go on their free plan, then you're limited in the type of postage you can print. You can print like a basic envelope or an oversized envelope, or like priority mail postage. It doesn't let you do, and you can say like one ounce, two ounce, three ounces, six ounces, you know, standard, you know, just pick a, pick how much it weighs. And I have a very basic postage scale, again, got it off Amazon, that that I can weigh my envelopes and do that from. I will tell you anything that's just a regular letter, I just put a stamp on. I just buy stamps from. It's, it's you know, easy enough to go to the post office or, 
you can even get them from the grocery store now. I just do that. So this is for anything that's a little bit oversized or or whatever. Now, the downside is, is you can't do anything fancy. You can't do like signature requested, return receipt requested, certified mail or anything like that. You can do that stuff with the $15 a month plan. So if you're doing a lot of that, or if you're doing more bulk mailing, it might be worth it to spend the 15 bucks a month to do that. But I found that I'm not, I'm just not sending up enough of that type of mail out for it to make sense for me to spend the 15 bucks a month. So for anything fancy like that, the post office is right on my way home and it closes at six o'clock. So it gives me a reason to get out of the office by six o'clock and I just stop by on my way home and I go in and I do, you know, my certified mail or whatever. Uh, another hack I would add to that is um, one thing I've picked up over the last year or two is I have a USPS account, US post office account online and they will send you the flat rate uh, priority mail mailers they're eight and a half by 11 size which is a lot of the stuff i send as full-size documents and you can do it there you can buy the postage there you can print it out on your printer you know i just sent a priority one today up to san francisco it was seven dollars and i use their envelope and it'll be there in a day or two so um that's another route and I've done that too. And I think it works well for like Priority and Express, but I'm not sure you can do anything real fancy with it either, like return receipt or anything like that. Uh, other hardware that I bought uh, over the last couple of years since kind of getting started, uh, the original I bought a kind of, I thought I bought a nice scan, uh, shredder, but the one I bought wasn't very good. Spent a little more money, bought a better shredder, which is really helpful if you got a, a business where you shred a lot of documents. Um, I have continued to buy hard drives like chewing gum. And, um, so I've got lots of backups of my data, never enough. And as I'm starting to bring on more people helping me, I'm starting to see where that leads to purchase of hardware, but we'll save that for the day we talk about assistance. But it, it sounds like you didn't, I mean, obviously you have your computers and things like that, but that's stuff that you had anyway. You didn't go out and buy anything fancy just for the business. A lot of this you can do with what you have. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I have toys that are kind of business related. I have the uh, the iPad and the Mac that that I love for many reasons, but I also really do actually use them to get work done. And um, uh, but, but you don't need that much. Uh, it, I guess it depends on what you're doing. Uh, we're in a business where it involves a lot of ideas and words, and you can get by with very little hardware. I want to take a moment and thank our sponsor, Fujitsu, makers of the great ScanSnap line of scanners. You can learn more about the Fujitsu ScanSnap at budurl.me slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap MPU. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you have heard David and I extol the virtues of the Fujitsu ScanSnap scanner. In fact, I'm looking at one on my desk here. What makes ScanSnap so great is the combination of amazing software and first-class hardware. Let's start with their premier scanner, the iX500. This is a full duplex 50-sheet feeder scanner that will connect to your computer either wirelessly or with USB 3.0. This scanner will scan 25 pages per minute, either to your computer or directly to mobile devices. You can scan in PDF or JPEG. And it has an enhanced paper feeding system that basically will make your misfeeds a thing of the past. They use enhanced roller separation technology to minimize your jams. 
If you have a lot of documents to power through, you want the iX500 on your desk. If you're looking for something a little more portable, you may want to check out the S1300i. That scanner will do 12 pages per minute, double-sided scanning on the go. You can fit it in a drawer or stick it in your briefcase. Or for the ultimate in portability, check out the iX100. This will scan a page at 300 dpi in 5.2 seconds and will fit in a glove box, briefcase, or backpack. It weighs only 14 ounces and can be USB powered. But the thing that makes these Fujitsu line of scanners so great is the amazing Fujitsu software. They have dual scan capability that will scan small documents at the same time. You can also scan documents larger than legal size and then automatically stitch them together using the Fujitsu software. Their scanner includes OCR software and they can scan to many cloud services including Dropbox, Evernote, Google Drive, and more. You can set up profiles for single scans, batch scans, photo scans, just about anything you want to do, and you can use their custom software to organize business cards and receipts. You can learn more about this amazing line of scanners at budurl.me slash SSMPU. And thanks, Fujitsu, for your kind support of the show. Okay, Katie Floyd, uh, entrepreneur and nerd, how are you handling your money? Well, I don't have that much, so it's not that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I it's all in a sock under it, your it mattress. It is. It is under my mattress, and that works very, very well. Um, I'm doing a couple of things. Uh, my what I did before I started is I had lunch with my CPA, and um, I said, "So this is what I'm planning on doing, and you're going to do my taxes, and so you're going to set me up, and I will be your best client ever because I will do whatever you tell me to. You just have to set it all up." And she's like, okay, I can do that. Like, perfect. Um, she wanted me to, to be on QuickBooks. So I got a QuickBooks online account. The one mistake that I made that um, I will tell, share with you guys so that you don't make the same mistake. Uh, QuickBooks online is a racket. Um, <laughs> they're, they're kind of the only game in town for that type of thing. They do not let you downgrade. So when you sign up, you get, um, you know, you, they, they get you at this teaser rate. And they're like, oh, and in six months it will go up. So I probably bought a higher level plan than I needed to initially um, because I didn't really know what I'd use it for. And I wanted to make sure that I was covered. And it turns out that I'm using it in a very basic way, but I can't downgrade my plan. You know, now I'm paying the full. Don't you love I'm, that, now I'm, these big companies. I'm paying the full price. And I just got a note that they're raising the rates. Great. But I can't downgrade. So that's a little frustrating. And they're like, well, you could export all your stuff and you could save it to QuickBooks on Windows and then you could close your company and then you could re-import it. But some things don't re-import well and you might lose some data. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is my most important information. I, I can't do that. So it was it was horrible. Um but whatever. And you're basically signed up probably forever. Yes, <laughs> I am probably signed up forever. Maybe, that's, a com that's a company that def definitely needs an online competitor. That, yeah. Um, I, I think if you, depending on the company that you're, the, the type of company that you're in, you might be able to get away with something like FreshBooks. Um, or, uh, you know, you may not need something as heavy duty as QuickBooks. So try, check, you know, see what you're, but, uh, you know, you may find that you do. It depends. Um, my, my CPA really wanted me to use QuickBooks. And so that was just an area where I bowed to her. I will tell you that. Yeah, you, you definitely want your CPA to feel comfortable with the tools. Yeah. Um, and I was very comfortable with my CPA. So it wasn't like I was going to switch CPAs over it. Um, I don't use QuickBooks for creating invoices. I use um, a third-party tool. I use Harvest for creating the invoices. Um, Harvest is very similar to FreshBooks. 
the reason that I used Harvest over FreshBooks is because Harvest has a lot of time tracking for, um, and as attorneys, a lot, so much of what we bill is, is based on time. So um, Harvest lets me easily track my time from a, a menu bar app or from an iOS app. And so I can put in time and expenses and it, it, it generates very pretty invoices that I go and I customize when I do my invoices at the end of the month. And um, then it then syncs all of that data with QuickBooks. So while it generates a very pretty invoice that it will then send to my clients electronically, and then Harvest integrates with Stripe, so I accept payments electronically, The all of that data is still in QuickBooks. So my CPA never sees Harvest. All she sees is the data in QuickBooks, which makes her very happy And it makes me happy because I'm not really, I mean, I am working in QuickBooks, but I'm not working in QuickBooks for invoicing. I'm working in Harvest. I'm making pretty invoices. My clients are seeing pretty invoices and they're paying my invoices. So what is your, um, having done this now for almost a year, uh, where did your technology serve you the best and where did it fail you? I, I think the technology has served me. I will tell you, I am probably... I am doing easily if I if I compare this to more traditional firms and firms that I've had experience with in the past I am easily doing the work of myself and an administrative assistant and and probably also the work of a partial work of a bookkeeper and an office administrator um and the only way that I can do that I I am being just as productive as an attorney and doing the admin work and doing the the office management work. And the only way that I can do that is with the technology. And I think where where I can really eat, you know, bigger firms lunch really is because I can be lean and mean and and do all of these things with the technology and not have all of this, you know, it, it's just tremendous overhead that a lot of these people using legacy tools have to have and have to use. And so that has been the the best advantage for me. Um, I, I don't know that it really has has failed me in, in any ways. I, I, I guess that will be a question of when it comes time for me to grow, because I really am about at max capacity right now. Um, w- will I be able to scale this to get some help in? I'm really curious to see how you do that. Because as I've always said, David, you're my canary in a coal mine. Yeah. Well, I'm deep in that right now. So I have thoughts. They're just not far enough along for me to share with any quality at this point. But the, uh, but you're right. I mean, the tools, how well do the tools scale to a second user? That is a question. I think another thing to think about is uh, you can be a nerd and you can be very um, techy and getting yourself off the ground. But still, there's things that that you can't do with um you just can't do with technology and you have to accept that and figure out how you're going to deal with that. And I guess, you know, to go back to the hippie part, you know, to to maybe close it there, the part that you guys talk about on free agents. um, I will tell you, it has been an amazing year of my life Um, in, in so many ways. I, I will tell you, I am happier now than I've ever been. I have done more things in this past year um, just personally and professionally you know, I, I bought this. I, I I never would have imagined 
doing. I mean, who, who quits their job and then three months, well, it was a little more than that. It, you know, six months later, I had I had no idea, you know, I, I bought this amazing house in my dream neighborhood and I, um, you know, I'm, I'm working on some other stuff and, uh, you know, I just, I, I feel, I think a lot of it has given me confidence. I, I feel like a lot of it has, I, I just, I don't really know how to describe it. I, I just feel like, um, all I'll say is life is really good. I feel like I'm in a really good place. Well, that's good to hear, Katie Floyd, as your podcaster and friend. Yeah. And um, I think part of that is because I'm, I'm working harder than I ever have before, but I'm also enjoying it more than I ever have before. It it really has uh, opened up a whole new world of possibilities. Yeah, I, I found that too. I, I get more professional satisfaction out of being a lawyer since I went on my own than I ever did working for other people. And, you know, and you just have a lot more control over what you work on and when you work on it and the kinds of people you work with. So why wouldn't that be better? But, but I think you have to, you have to plan it. It's not something that you can do haphazardly. Um, I, I have known people and I'm not saying that I won't be one of them because you never know what the tomorrow will bring. I, I've known people who have done this and who have failed. Um, it, it happens. It probably happens more often than not. Um, you, you can't just, you know, go into your boss's office because you're angry one day and say, I quit. I mean, there, it has to be a very deliberate path and a well thought out one. Yeah. Since I started doing the uh, free agents podcast, I get those emails quite often from people saying, thank you. Listening to your show. I just quit my job and I hate those emails so much because <laughs> I feel so responsible for that person. Um, but anyway, it, it is tough, but it is also very rewarding. I'm glad it's working out for you. Well, well, we'll do another one of these shows uh, a couple of years from now and, um, and check in and, and see that. I guess to close, how, how have things changed from you since we did your last show, um, 200 and, uh, 272, couple hundred episodes ago, 100 episodes ago? Yeah, I, um, I'm coming to the realization that, you know, it's not a temporary thing. I, I was just telling my wife recently, I said, if, if things go the way I would like, this would be my life for the duration, that I would be able to talk about technology with my pal Katie and write books and keep this solo law practice. I, you know, the idea of, of joining forces with a bigger firm to me is not something that's even remotely interesting to me. But I've also realized that in order to keep all these oars in the water, I need to start getting help. And, uh, and I think you're kind of coming to that conclusion too. So that's the next big adventure for me is what does that mean? Um, for me, it doesn't necessarily mean I need someone to a lawyer in my life. I need someone to help me with other stuff. And uh, we're going to, we're going to have more content on that. Like I, I've been teasing through the whole show. And it's not that I'm trying to be coy. It's that I really am trying a bunch of different things right now. And I'm not sure which ones are the answer. And I want to give you legitimate, you know, options when we talk about it. But let us know. Maybe you've got some thoughts, too. Yeah, I look forward to that. Well, you can um, drop us a line, uh, feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Or the show is on Twitter. It's at MacPowerUsers. Or you can discuss this on our Facebook group as well. We do want to say thanks to our sponsors this episode, 1Password, Fracture, Fujitsu, and Eero. Um, we will talk to you all next time.